there. This is Nana. And I'm Bunkio, and this is African.American. This is a show where we take a closer look at a subset of the African diaspora, the children of African immigrants growing up in America. We call ourselves African.Americans out of respect for the fact that the hyphen between the two words denotes a particular community, history, and culture. This show is going to take a look at how they overlap, intersect, and at times don't touch at all. So why this show and why now? Well, this show was actually born from several WhatsApp conversations about our experiences in the United States. Most are aware that conversations about blackness aren't as nuanced as they should or could be. We wanted to change that a little bit and create a space where African.Americans could complicate the landscape a little. We plan to talk about a variety of issues on this podcast, from serious themes to more jovial ones and everything in between. Today's theme we're going to explore um, is Black Lives Matter 2. And the two is with parentheses. Um, so we want to start each show with a segment that we call Konkonsa. Mm-hmm. A- that's that's right. It's it's from the Akan or Chi language um, from Ghana. So Konkonsa is where we take something from African or African.American news and discuss it. Um, and today we're going to talk about the African church, African religion. Um, or rather people's critique of it. So about two weeks ago, I got this video via WhatsApp, but it's already on YouTube. It's been circulating on YouTube for a while. It has like several thousand views. Well, the, the title is, what do you think about fake prophets? Honorable Madiba, what do you think about fake prophets? They are not serious. They're like hype men. They just wanted to spend. They're like native daughters. It's just that they wear suits. They're like Mama G, they can scatter your family. <laughs> They're like rose girls. They are rushing us. Every time you're asking for seed, seed, seed. Are you a farmer? How will you ask me to pay off with 12 times? Are you subscribing for the 12 disciples? How will you ask me to bring 20,000 naira for you to help me to do fasting? Are you Hussein Bolt? How will you ask for 20 gallons of oil? You want to fry my blessing? How will you open a school, an expensive school with church money, and you, and you cannot give us scholarship? You are not serious. You are telling me your spirit, your spirit is saying I'm finding it hard to save. Who is not finding it hard to save? I'm not married. And you are, you are telling me that my mother-in-law is the cause of my problem. You are not serious. How will you say I should dance for 40 hours before I receive my blessing? Am I David? I have one word for them. That is thunder hair fire theology. So what does that mean? I know. (laughs) So this video is saying a lot. Um, There's a lot to unpack there. I hope that um, some of you at least can can kind of follow with despite the guy's accent. Um, but he's giving a bunch of critiques about a bunch of different things that happen in in certain kinds of African churches, but they are types that are pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> one of the, what are, I don't know the funniest some of the funniest things there, right? Where they say I have to, I have to dance for forty okay, hours yeah. before I can get my blessing and my David. And the planting um, of the seeds. Yes, yeah. the four, five, six, seven seeds, <laughs> and I'm a farmer. <laughs> But what the video is talking about is people taking advantage of people. And how do we separate real religion from not so real, from the fake stuff, right? Um, so like, for instance, the guy's asking about people who think he's a farmer, right? Or um, about churches making schools but not providing any money for people who can't afford there to go. And I think that that part is the tough part. Like, I don't want to wipe every institution with the same brush. There are a lot of folks who just get up and start a church. 
just so, and I don't think and, that there's and, anything and that, wrong with that. Like just because, but is that taking advantage of people? Is, what I'm saying, I don't think that it's taking advantage of people because you get up and start a church. What I'm saying is, how do we figure out what the difference is? And I know you feel particularly about this, because we've definitely had these discussions. I don't want to wipe a whole swath of people with a certain no, and brush. I, I completely understand where you're coming from. But uh, at the same time, I do feel as though there are a lot of folks out there who just start churches just for income income purposes. And it's not... I, I believe being a pastor is a calling. And so... there, are, But there are a lot of folks who... I feel like when their backs are against the wall, the thing that they think about is, let me become a pastor. It's a way for me to I think money. so, but like, even if you have a little hole-in-the-wall church, you're not making that much money. There is a larger thing... But you, you always get people to come. No, <laughs> so and people, if, and if people you, are going to pay. If you are halfway decent doctor, I mean, a, pastor, a pastor, but you're not always. But what I think... Eh, but, mm. To me, the larger issue okay. is people. What aspects of our culture, of African culture lend itself to having people who follow That's, the yeah. charlatans amongst this group. Because again, of course there are pastors, but there are people who follow. And if you are in a place, just let me, yeah, let me land, I'm you know, I'm, I'm yeah. the plane is in the I'm, air. I'm, I'm, I'm trying listening. to, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying listening. to get, I'm, I'm, I'm declining in altitude. I'm I don't know listening. what you're saying. So if you have a bunch of people who are adults mm -hmm. ostensibly and can make the choices, make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. What is it that makes them go to a place that, you know, like this guy says, I'm not married. I mean, of course, an extreme well, example, he's like, I'm not married, but your mother-in-law is the root of all your problems. The way that religion manifests in a lot of spaces is about like prophecy, going somewhere where somebody will tell you something about the future. Whether that is good stuff or bad, or bad stuff. Or, yeah, and but, that's where I mean, you get- uh, It lends its hands to also prosperity doctrine in this country. See, that's, that's, that's a, it, okay. it does, okay. but I think that more so than prosperity doctrine, what we're dealing with is up, we're dealing with cultures where people, okay, traditional African religion, no, right? Yeah. You go to the Oracle, or yeah. at least that's what I see for, in Nollywood, pro, pro, Nollywood movies, yeah. and the Oracle will do it for you. Or you want this yeah. person to be your husband, you go and they make some like stuff and yeah. that magic brings you Wong, a husband. Bomb, yep. Um, and so some, even though people have more standardized Western religions, and I, I would include Islam in that category, mm -hmm. there is still a current within African cultures where people go to a particular kind of religious figure, whether it be a church or not, and get that same help or advice, or we'll write these Quranic verses yeah. and put in a piece of paper and that'll help you protect you or something. Or I'll go to this pastor and pray on my shirt and I'll get the job because he prayed on my shirt. And I think that when you have that kind of structure, mm -hmm. that's when it can be easier to take advantage of people. I don't think all, I think all these people, I think there are people who genuinely believe in what they're doing and gen or genuinely believe in their pastors, but that to me is a bigger pull than prosperity, prosperity. gospel. That's the thing. What is what is religion to us? Or why do you go to church? Are you going to church to get something out of it, or are you going to church to build that relationship? Well, even um, if you're going God. to building a relationship with God, that's something that's you want to get, that you get, you get, get out, out of it, it, right? Yes, yes. So, but, like, I think what you're saying is that, like, people shouldn't go to church to, because they want things, but I but, think that that's something easy for you to say because you have things. Yeah. You have food. That is completely true. Right. So if I don't that have food or true. shelter and, and, and people, I want a Mercedes... People who tend to go to those churches or, or, or follow, follow those pastors, actually, you know, 
are looking for material things and right. they, they find that praying for it or going to going to that that, that, doctor, yeah. <laughs> that that person for it that's that's the best way for them to attain it and right. once you believe if you have faith Maybe, Perhaps they maybe believe it that happens, it will come. Maybe it doesn't, yeah. So, I mean, I, I completely agree with you there. A lot of times it's also access. If the person is close, and I've heard from friends that, oh, Miracles this is happen. a pastor. This is a powerful pastor. Yep. Uh, this is a powerful prophet. He can make things happen. He can see if you're just, like the guy I was joking about. <laughs> this is, the the matter of law is the reason why you're not having kids. Yeah. You know, it's because a lot of times we're looking for people to blame for things that are happening in our life. And it can become a little dangerous because... I feel as though sometimes someone may be having um, fibroids, actual medical issues, but we're so, is that mother-in-law? Is this person? Is this person? And we're so quick to believe that because we want to hold on to that, that we, we don't actually, you know, go to the hospital to check it out. Well, I mean, again, this is kind of tough because what if it is your mother-in-law? I don't know. I mean, it may what be if true, she's putting but... poison in your food? I don't, I, I, I think for me, the harder part is still like, how do we... I can't say anybody that tells you that is a charlatan, right? Because in some cases it is. And you don't know, like, I I think this is like a different kind of discussion, but I had some, a friend who knows a a dog, um, a dog, a a dog psychic. Mm. She knows one. Yeah. She was telling another friend about it who's, or pet psychic. Her, her, her cat, um, has some issues or whatever. And she suggested it. And the story that she told about it, made me i'm like look some things can't be explained her dog was sick the doctors couldn't find out what figure it out she went to the pet psychic and the pet psychic was like the dog is telling me it was bit by a spider Mm. and she was like yeah whatever she's like no the dog is telling me i know my body and i was bit by a spider she's like okay whatever that night she's like touching you know petting her dog she finds a swollen ear and spider like spider bite marks so it's like I mean, I mean, there are some people. Our, there, there, there are people who have. I mean, there are pastors who who have this gift. We shouldn't paint everyone with the same brush, but but at the same time, you know, there are too many of these churches <laughs> in our countries, not and not it's not like you never. You're laughing, or you're laughing, but it's it's becoming a problem no, because I feel like everybody's like, oh, I'm a pastor. Well, I think. Oh, I'm a prophet. It's the same I'm thing. A in, it's the same thing in the states, right? Like, I feel like. Um, especially in our area, right in the DC metro area, because there's a, a lot, lot of, of Africans churches, yeah. here. There are a lot of churches here. I see yeah. more billboards, and I have like interacted with people who've been very aggressive. There was a girl once on a bus who um, wanted to give me a, a poster for a crusade that her church was having, and I was like, "This is very expensive paper. Like, I want you to keep this because I'm I know I'm not going to come." And she was so offended. She was like. Ah. So you don't you don't want to come? I was like I, I'm I'm being honest with you. I, I'm 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 not going to attend yeah. your church service. And she like physically instead was, of asking why, trying to no. Talk, well, yeah, she to started it off with, "What do you want Jesus to do in your life today?" And I was like, "I just don't. I don't." Again, like we're talking about this because she was African, but like this happens. I mean, this was happening. In, she was African or African American, American. Yeah, but this happens a lot stateside as well. Sometimes it makes me just become jaded. Like we were saying, some people have the gifts, some not. So. We just need to figure out how you know, and I don't know how you know. And religion is going to mean different things to different people. Very um, true. But the video was funny, and we laughed, and we wanted to be able to share it and uh, talk a little bit about it. Yeah. But we're going to switch gears now and um, go on to our next segment that's called The Chat. And it's where we get a little bit more real, um, speaking a little bit more about personal life experiences. Today's topic is The Talk. 
the main question we want to kind of dig into is just like African-American families have to have the talk with their children. Do we think African-American families or African families in America need to be in the habit of doing those things? And for those of you who don't know what the talk is, I mean, there, there are lots of good resources on it. You can an episode of Blackish on it, but it's basically having to have a chat with your child about the realities of being black in America, about mm -hmm. how you need to behave around law enforcement, how you need to behave so you don't get caught by law enforcement, basically so you don't end up, you know, dead. Um, there just are a lot more things that you have to do because of how black people are perceived in the U.S. to try and stay above the fray or out of the danger zone. Mm -hmm. um, so I think one of the main things, though, with having the talk or like the issue of having the talk within African communities is like, do we think that we're differentiated enough for African-Americans for there even to be a need to do this? Um, there are a lot of African families, right? And African people, I mean, we are. We're just, I think to be Ghanaian or Sierra Leonean or Nigerian or whatever, it's something distinct from being African-American. Mm -hmm. It's not the same culture. Yeah. Um, and you are, and we will talk about this in other episodes as well, treated a, it's somewhat it's different. It's a different sense of identity. Yeah. It's a different point of reference. Your relationship with law enforcement is different um, when you come from another country. Mm -hmm. um, it's not always better, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's so very African true. Yeah. It's like police take, you know, there's always a stereotype of police taking bribes and doing all kinds of yeah. other things. Um, but also your relationship with yourself, right? Like, whereas in an African country, you think about police, you're not thinking about police as a black person. Um, you're thinking about police as like a citizen, citizen versus yeah, non-police. Yeah. Whereas in the US, that's, it's more complicated. Yeah. So um, what do you think? Do we, yeah, do we need I, to have this? I think we do because it's a matter of how people are seeing you, not how you're seeing yourself. So yeah. I think it's it's an important conversation to have with real kids, whether or not you're you're African, African dot American, African American. Like it's it's an important conversation to have with your kids because it's how folks are relating to your kids, and you don't want. It's very important for you to, to be able to t take the opportunity to teach your kids rather than to have that outside person, that third party, come in and you know teach your child that oh there's a color difference between because a lot of kids they notice they that we look different, it, yeah. but they don't register it in the same way. You have to make sure that you talk to your kids about these things. I think that's a very, very, very important thing. These are conversations that aren't always happening in African-American yeah. yeah. households. So what what are the barriers to making this happen? I mean, parents just want to be conscious of the, the need. Um, parents have to be very conscious of, of the issue. And when you've never experienced racism or when you've never lived in a place where you know so institutionalized. it's institutionalized and you've lived it so when you see it you feel it when when that doesn't happen when it's happening to you you don't even realize that it's racism oftentimes for me my first time i noticed it a friend had to point it out to me like did you see what he just did yeah. why did you just you know act like it was okay that's not okay and Folks have done that to me several times. Like, I've never yeah. looked at it this way. I've never looked at somebody giving me change and just, you know, slapping it on the table as anything other than, oh, the person doesn't want to touch folks. Well, yeah, you know, but, but that's the hard part, too. It's, it's, it's like even the stuff for the church, right? Like, when we're talking about church, it's yeah. how 
you don't know what is really behind that. Sometimes yeah. it's it's also it's not helpful yeah. to take that as the default, yeah. right? That yeah. the person doesn't want to serve yeah. me because I'm black. It might yeah. be that they're just having a bad day or yeah. they're moving really quickly yeah. and they don't have time. Or yeah. they have a cold and sneeze in their hands and don't want to touch, touch you. people. Yeah. Or they're from a culture where, where it's you not don't respect exactly. money in exactly. the person's hands. Exactly. Um, so I think that those pieces are hard. Um, but exactly. what are you thinking about for your kids? Oh, are you I'm... have this talk? <laughs> like, you know what the reality is. You've lived here now, regardless of what your parents said or didn't say to you. Yeah. I am a huge proponent of teaching your kids these things and actually starting at a very early age. There are ways to talk to kids where you don't have to be all black and white. You can talk to them about these differences. I find that a lot of immigrants um, don't feel comfortable talking to their kids about these, these sorts of things because to them, we're different. Their kids are different. They don't, they've not lived the African-American experience. Yeah. I think some of but, them also have those internalized negative Negative. Uh, oh, well, uh, that, right? that's a like, huge part I of it. I think it's hard for people to be like, oh, your hair is beautiful. When you know good and gracious, well, they don't. Like, they don't. Yeah, that's not that. There's a lot of where yeah. it's not okay. Your yeah. skin bleaching i mean we will talk about colorism <laughs> that's a huge later, part of it and it's like they want their kids to be different they want people to view them differently but that third party is, is not seeing your kid as any different from the african-american kid. right and i think i think one of the things that is like helpful for this is like the african-american experience like it, there are episodes of tv sitcoms that really speak to this um growing up there's an episode of the fresh prince of bel-air about this when carlton oh. um you didn't see it no, this is I don't why remember. I this is why I question your black. But, but hey, <laughs> so there's an episode. Well, of, I may have seen it, but I don't know what you're referencing. So a, why, why don't we hear it? It was Thank one of those. You. It was one of those episodes of Fresh Prince of Bel Air that like got serious, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a comedy, but it got serious. I don't remember the full context, but Carlton and Will were driving, mm-hmm. and they were driving around in a good na- a white yeah, neighborhood, neighborhood. Yeah. and they get pulled over by the police. Mm-hmm. And the police officer doesn't believe them that like they are there legally or I don't think they lived in the neighborhood. I think they were driving somewhere, but like that Uncle Phil was a judge, RIP Uncle Phil. Um, He did, he's the man who played him, James Avery passed away. Um, And so they ended up in jail and it was one of those things where it was eye-opening for Carlton because he didn't. Oh, I remember this episode. When they were in the jail. Because he never, yeah. And Uncle Phil ended up coming with a white colleague, I think, to get them out. Can I get my card back? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there's an episode there like that. There's also an episode that's of an older sitcom, A Different World. Woo! For those of you who oh, I remember, used to watch it fanatic. was great. There was an episode where um, Dwayne Wayne and Ron get in a fight with some white frat boys and they end up in jail, jail. and sort of, like, talking through these same things. Why is it that, you know, this group is treated this way and that group is not treated that way? I feel like things like that are helpful even for Africans mm-hmm. because... Again, Africans do think of themselves as, you know, I'm Ethiopian or I'm Nigerian. So I think we're talking about a bunch of different things, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. first of all, it's like, how do you introduce the idea of, like, racial difference to kids, even from a small age, mm-hmm. but also imbibe in them a sense of pride in being black, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's that one thing, and that's what you can do to kind of lead up yeah, to the talk. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, it's like, the talk really has to be about how they don't care. Mm. A police officer with a gun in his hand, he doesn't care. I'm a, yeah. Again, like, to, you know, Amadou Diallo was, an, uh, I think, I, want, I don't remember which country. I know it was a Francophone West African country. They didn't care. You know, they, they saw a black man and they did what it is that they did. So I think that, like, 
we do need to find ways to raise awareness among uh, uh, African folk. Uh. And I think that the news and things like that are helpful now. My parents' generation were more going like, nah, this is some bullshit. Like, no, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, you see yeah. these court cases and you go, wait, the facts surrounding this case don't make sense to me. Yeah. The common denominator for these people seems to be that they look brown. Yeah. Maybe I should be more cautious. Or like you think of someone like Barack Obama. Like, I know when he was running for president, uh, there were a lot of people who didn't understand why he identified as black. And were mm. like, why doesn't he identify as mixed? Saying that like, when I go to catch a cab, this is what people recognize. Yeah. They see a black man. They don't see a mixed race, race American. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that like even Africans can take, right? Like you are all the things that you want to be, yeah. everything and all that. But um, what people, like what you said at the beginning, what you what people see is what is really going to be what carries the day. And so yeah. you need to be sort of conscious of both who you are and what you see yourself as mm-hmm. and what people might be seeing you as. Yeah. South African immigrants need to realize that we are no different from african-americans and we're, we're all at the end of the day we're all black yeah and we need to stop differentiating ourselves in that regard and this no in this regard thank you in this regard i would like to uh, no, no 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 <laughs> differentiate ourselves in this i think you understood what i was saying people are going to treat you based on what they see yeah. and what they're seeing versus black so moral of the story, yes, please have the talk with your children. Talk to them often. Talk to them, I don't know, throughout their childhood. Start early. Keep mm-hmm. it going. Mm-hmm. It's an important series of conversations that need to be happening. happening. <laughs> so now we're going to the final segment of the show that we call Spotlight. And Spotlight is where we bring on an African.American to talk about another new topic. Today, we're going to be talking to our guest about going back to Africa, the experiences of people who have made recent visits to the motherland and um, asking them things like, how do you feel about your trip? Did you feel at home there? How does that complicate your identity when you get back to America? This spotlight segment is a little different from previous ones. The conversation with our guest was so interesting that we wanted to share as much of it as possible with you. In the first part of the segment, we talk about raising a black child to have a positive sense of self. In the second part, we talk about going back to Africa for a visit. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording. Happy Black History Month. Hi there. We're back with our Spotlight section. Today, we have our special guest, Abna, with us. Hi, Abna. How are you? good how are you i'm doing well as well Uh, let's get started please tell us about where you grew up i grew up in accra in various parts of the city um as my parents moved around and then i spent about three years of my teenage years in cape coast where i went to secondary school not that i knew anything about the town i just stayed in school Nine months out of the year, got out one day to explore the the town, and that was about it. But um, primarily, I did grow up in um, different sections of Accra. Okay, just for the rest of our listeners, Accra is in Ghana. When did you leave Ghana? I left Ghana when I was 18, almost 19. So I would say that I left when I was an adult adult. Um, if we consider 18 to be an adult adult. So 
yeah, that's when I that's when I left Ghana. You've lived in this country for quite a while. How many years have you lived here? Oh boy, twenty long years. This oh, wow. is my twentieth year. How do you identify yourself ethnically? Um, let's take that question first, and then you can talk about how you identify yourself racially. Well, ethnically, I am an Ashanti from Ghana because both of my parents are, and actually more so because my mother is because of our matrilineal um, way of inheritance. So that makes me an Ashanti. Uh, racially, I'm still trying to figure out whether I'm black or brown. I know I'm not peach or white, um, and that's but that's only because I I always was taught to to know that I'm black based on um, the systems in this country. However, as my daughter started growing up and learning colors, she's always talking about mommy. We're brown because obviously the color of our skin looks brown. So I am still trying to go through that re-education of myself as to whether I'm black or brown but I guess I'm black by what the law says so I'm black. Hmm. You mentioned a seven-year-old daughter and you mentioned that she sometimes identifies herself as brown but what does she identify herself as ethnically? Well, Have you had that conversation? We haven't had that conversation in depth but she asked me an interesting question a few days ago. She hmm. said mommy we, we watch a lot of sports in our house and they have the under 17 World Cup women's soccer thing going on. And she said, Mommy, if Ghana and America are playing, who would you support? And I said, you know what? It's happened before. So I turned the question around and I asked her, who would you support first? She said, Ghana. I said, oh. yeah. <laughs> I <was> the black stars. <laughs> I, was, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I said, me too. It's happened before. If Ghana and the U.S. are playing, I'll support Ghana first and then the U.S. next. Um, I have heard her talking to herself that she's African-American, um, talking about the color of her skin. I always hear her saying she's brown because she sees the color. She's not looking at mm-hmm. it as... Um, in the context of black and white as we see it. Mm. Um, so I, I, don't, I haven't had that conversation with her about whether she's a Shanji or not. Um, I say it, but I, you know, just in passing. But I've been teaching her the Adawa dance, which is an Ashanti dance, so that, and she's getting very good at it. So over time, I'll say, hey, this is where you come from, and that's why you have to dance this way. Um, but, you know, we've, you know, she's she she has the concept of colors now, so she doesn't even get why there's even white or very black like that. She she deals with peaches and browns. Although I think she's now she stays white, but she still stays brown. So does she have these conversations with her friends? How how do her friends have you heard her friends identify her? How do her friends identify her? Hmm, that's interesting. I actually she and I haven't, she hasn't mentioned to me that anybody has identified her as black or white. Although I have a feeling that it's happened because the fact that she said to herself that she's African-American, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think that conversation has happened. She had an interesting, she's in second grade, but she had an interesting situation in first grade where they, during their first week in class, they needed to draw themselves and the whole nine yards about drawing a portrait of themselves. She drew herself and she painted her hair orange. 
um, her teacher who's Caucasian. <laughs> Didn't understand. <laughs> said, you know, I need to talk to you about something. I don't know. I I talked to some of you about my, my daughter about it. She talked to my daughter about it. That she needs to draw a picture of herself, not her friends, or herself. And she's the only black kid in the class. Um, mm. The only other person of color in the class is... Um, it's a mixed mixed race child, um, well at the time, and so she 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 the teacher actually directed her that you have to be proud of your hair, um, your hair is black and it's beautiful, and your skin color is brown. So both her homeroom teacher and her art teacher really reinforced that for her. And when she came home, you know I was pushing for that every day. Um, all the dolls had to be brown. Um, we the dolls had to look like her. I I realized that oh my god I need to do more because I live in a community um, as a result of work where is ninety eight point seven Caucasian and one point three percent other, which includes Black Asian everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I at that point in time I need I knew I needed to make the effort to get her out there more to know about who she is and feel good about that and I you know over the last year I think we've made um, great strides in that she's never colored her hair um, peach again or orange did she say why she colored it orange to begin with was she trying to be like her redheaded classmates or was it just like she didn't want to have like kinky hair or whatever I, I don't think it was because she wasn't proud of her kinky hair although she she would usually say, oh, I want my hair to be long like my friends. Um, and I'll say our hair is coarse and we have, you know, melanin, which makes our skin stronger, which is something I learned from my African-American friend whose kid used to go to um, daycare with my child and try to make her proud about that. But I don't know if she was seeing, as she drew herself, if she was thinking about her friends, that they're all one. And that she, she, she thought... She was one of them. I, you know, I tried to get get into her head about that, but she didn't want to talk about it. Oh wow! Um, it's it hasn't happened again, and she's very proud of who she is today, and the fact that she's brown. And when there's a brown kid that comes to the school or visits the school, she's very quick to point that out. Mm. And as a result of that, I have fortunately, I mean, given that we're. Um, you know, like I said, it's one point three percent other. Um, it's um, I have actually joined. They have an Amer- African American um, community in the school for parents with African American kids to help them, you know, deal with some of the challenges that my child dealt with, and even upwards. So. I became a part of it, and as a result, we'll go to parties, and she would see some of the older. Um, African-American kids and she'd be very happy and proud and when she saw them around school she'd be like hey mom look they ha- they have you know they have hair like mine I saw them at the gym and the whole nine yards so it's made her feel comfortable but I, I realized I needed to do that for her and I mean even that even there we've had our challenges challenges between I'm probably one of very one of two African parents who come and they're at least you know four or five Africans I know who are in the school and sometimes 
the African-American parents are like, you know, we come from different backgrounds, so they realize the challenges, but at, at the end of that, at the differences, but at the end of the day, our kids are going to face this, um, mm. the same challenge in school yeah. because our kids are not going to be African or be seen as African or African-American. Mm-hmm. They're going to be seen as black kids in the school and they would have to meet a certain standard. So I remember one of the parents telling me how important he thought that we all needed to come together, even if, you know, we had differences in our upbringing as parents, our kids um, were going to be in the same situation or in the same boat. And as a result, mm-hmm. we needed to find out from each other how best we could deal with it. So um, by her going through that experience, I had to be proactive in, in some of these organizations to get her to understand who she was and see people like her who are a little bit older and be proud of who she is. Right. That's, really That's really cool. Interesting. That's really interesting. Um, I'm wondering also that, because you said, mentioned earlier that you came here at 18 and you're an adult. Um, and that's, I think that's in the U.S. it's kind of technically true, but there's also this idea of like the 18 to 21 range or like the college years being a really uh, formative period in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was wondering if since you came to the U.S. at 18, like did the fact that you had spent so much well, the rest of all your life previous to that in Ghana, um, was that complicated uh, in any way by coming here at 18 and having to like interact with people as like a older teenager? Yes, it, it came with some level of complication. Um, first of all, there was this huge cultural difference. Um, I came in, I had actually gone to college for a semester in Ghana before coming here. And I came here and went straight to community college and I could tell the vast differences. Well, first of all, in college in Ghana, I knew most of the people there before I even got there because most of most, most of the people were people I either went to elementary school with, uh, middle school with, or high school with, or met somewhere along the line through church or family friendships and other things. So there was a lot of familiarity. Coming here, I knew no one and I had to... <laughs> Um, make new friends, rediscover that, or not even make friends at all. And not even understanding, um, I was completely naive about racial differences and how it impacts everything. And of course, the, the huge culture shock and cultural differences. Things as minute as somebody lifting their left hand up in class and asking a question. It's abominable where I grew up. Um, oh, wow. During my college years in Ghana. No teacher will call on you. In fact, if they do, they'll be telling you you're rude. Um, Things like maintaining eye contact when talking to somebody or a teacher for that matter. I I never did that. And my entire first and second semester were a challenge because of that. Because I'll talk or give a short um, presentation and not look in anyone's face. Because based on how, how I was trained, out of respect, you talk with your head down not looking at somebody's face or looking eye to eye at somebody directly. It was actually considered rude. So I went through a whole semester without knowing this and I kept doing this. And I, I have to say that I did very poorly, um, relatively poorly in my um, English and communication class during my first semester at a community college. Um, I, I, 
I, I liked math, so I had some strengths there. And at some point in time, I during my second semester, I used to tutor math. And at one point in time during a training session for those doing tutoring work, um, they did mention that, oh, if you're looking or teaching somebody, you have to look into the person's eye. I'm sitting there like, huh? So I've been doing this wrong all this while. Oh, wow. Nobody ever said anything to me other than um, talk louder or you're not doing something right. So you get a C. Um, but it was a shock to me. And I remember the very first friend I made in a chemistry class, um, a Caucasian young lady, um, she would ask a question with her left hand up. And one time I asked her, why do you do that? It's so rude. She looks at me like, what is wrong with you? Like, what's rude about it? I'm trying to get it. Um, but it, it took me a while to navigate pieces of that, you know, the, all the differences in culture. Um, plus, you know, trying to make friends and Sometimes you make friends in school, the next semester they don't come back. Um, I went to school in Baltimore, which presents its own challenges. One girl that I grew particularly close to, her name escapes me now, but she was from the city and she'll be telling me about her challenges from the city. I'm a newbie from coming to America and all you see is what you saw in the video with coming to America and all the beautiful houses with Cosby Show and 227 back in the day. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh, you're telling me that people in Baltimore City, which was about 15 miles from where I went to college, don't even, they don't, they don't realize the possibility of going to college when there's a university right in their backyard. And she told me her story one time about how she had lost her, her dad when she was nine um, through a shooting. Through a shooting. Um, her mom is a single parent and the fact that she had come to UMBC, which is where I went to undergrad was a miracle in itself. Like nobody in the community had been able to do that, which Mm. was a shocker to me. First of all, I'm like, huh? She's like, yeah, I have to show you. Actually, at that point I started getting scared about going anywhere close to Baltimore City. (laughs) But at the same time. I felt I mean, yeah. I, felt that's, I mean, I'm not sorry. gonna lie. I I don't. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of tough for me to go there sometimes because I still don't know. Yeah, I which mean, I... places are like the safer places versus the non-safer places? But it's more like I'm just not used to the city. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was shocked but confused. I felt sorry for her, but I I just couldn't understand it because. I mean, you have people in a car sitting at the um, U.S. They they have an office there to help international students apply to schools and guide them and all of that. And I'm like, you're sitting here like 20 minutes away and like there's nothing like that for kids in that community. But she was mm-hmm. doing her best um, to change that. But she couldn't. She didn't even come back the following semester because the challenges she faced was more than just coming to school like I had. Um, she, she didn't have the support. She almost had to support everybody. She was trying, trying to do so many things at once. And she came from a community that didn't provide her that support. Unlike me, I'll come home and my, my father wants to see what grade I got in every right. test I had. Um, which I, you know, I, it was a learning process for me, but I was confused as much as I also, you know, felt sorry for her about that but I mean those were all things that I had to navigate along the way Mm. I 
I don't think I enjoyed college as much as I thought I would have if I'd stayed in Ghana. <laughs> wow. That's very interesting. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, when was the last time you went to Ghana? Oh, I went to Ghana three months ago. Um, but I was only there for seven days. Um, but, I mean, it was a good experience. Always good to be back home. Mm. Although everybody's grown now. They have their own families. There's too much traffic and... You can't see anybody in Accra nowadays. Um, but mm. it's always good to be back home, to was get away from the bills and all of that. Was this your first time back in a while, or do you visit um, frequently? Well, this was actually my third time in four years. Um, prior to that, I hadn't gone back in, in, in more than 10 years. So mm. um, I've been back quite often within the last four years. Except I never stay for, I stay for about a week or two at, at any point in time. I never stay too long. Hmm. So within the last four years, what what have the differences you've noticed since? Well, in Accra, the last time, well, since fourteen years ago now, mm-hmm. um, of course there's been a lot of development. It's high rise buildings everywhere, um, painted in so many different colors. Some streets are like Constitution Avenue in D.C. Um, it's actually improved a lot. Um, the last time I was there, which is just recently, one of the nice surprises for me was the fact that there was no Doomsaw. And Doomsaw is um, prior to three years ago when I was there, prior to my last visit, the lights would go off 12 hours, 24 hours at a time before they would come back, which was very frustrating for me because we went at a time when it was extremely hot then and mm. the heat rashes it, it was just very uncomfortable and that's called doomsaw yes it, it means doomsaw is doomsaw and chi is on off on off like, oh. like this for lights. <laughs> interesting um it's a pretty serious thing but um I, my dad always tells me that it's actually worse in other countries oh but yeah it's actually it's, yeah. it's actually this time around i I hardly experienced that, which was a, which was a nice surprise for me. But there's been a change in government, and I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Um, but lots of development. Um, it was also interesting to kind of see that everywhere you went, the, or in most places, the service services that people provided had picked up. A lot of people in the service industry speak English, which I mean, it doesn't matter to me. But I'm like, oh, this will be this will bode well for the tourism industry because when people come and don't speak any of the local languages, at least people can communicate with them and help them along the way. So that was was kind of nice to see that. Um, the downside is it looks like nobody speaks. People's kids don't speak Chi anymore or any of the local languages. All the kids, yeah. I don't speak it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I go there, it's really for my child, whom I've tried to reinforce this in my house. I'm speaking Chita to reinforce that with kids her age as she plays around. But unfortunately, we don't seem to get that anymore. And it saddens me. But everywhere I go, these kids are losing the local language. Did you feel that folks treated you a little differently? I tried to make myself not to be treated differently. Um, in the airports, maybe. Um, because, of course, I just got off the plane and they see that I'm just coming. And sometimes they even mm-hmm. smell you, right? 
Yes, but I one of the things I do when I'm in a craft, I try not to do too much perfume. I speak as my English is I try to make my English, my accent as local as possible. And the tree that I speak, I speak tree like someone who just came from the village. Um, like oh wow! The local that's really like, good down to the bottom dialect. Oh, Everything in chi. So when I walk out there, uh, hopefully my skin doesn't look as fresh, um, <laughs> which, which is how people are able to tell. But uh, when I walk out and I talk, there's nothing American about me. In the past, I've actually, as soon as I get there, I saw some Thai and I wear some chaliwatsu and walk around. Chaliwatsu slippers. Um, oh. and walk around. I've had people call me out, people who know me, like, what are you doing? You can't dress like that here. <laughs> but, but the whole point is I don't want to look different. I'm sure I you're looking, want, you're I looking different. I don't want people to treat people me are, differently. People are dressed, you know, a little differently than just the the slippers and the tie and dye. Yeah. I think the time when pe- people realize that I'm not from there, when, as you can realize in this whole interview process, I talk a lot. And sometimes I'm very inquisitive <laughs> and I, I want to understand what's going on from other people's oh, perspectives. So I, I, you know, I guess I ask a lot of questions when I go to a restaurant or to the market and I was like, Oh, when did you finish school? Where did you finish? Why are you doing this? Where did you go? And, you know, sometimes someone may say something that I'm not very familiar with. I try not to show that, but I, they may be able to see that from my face and they're probably thinking she must not be living here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think f- for, from, from that perspective, people are able to tell, but they don't treat me differently because the way I talk, I don't know if you can treat me any differently. And I bag in a lot with everything I buy, especially when I go to the market, even in the so, so many supermarkets that are opening up now, I actually don't even go there. I just go to the markets. To the marketplace where I can bargain and have the conversations because I want to have the local experience for myself, but really also for my daughter. Mm-hmm. How did you feel heading back to the U.S.? Were oh. you excited to come back? Were excited for not spending so much more money anymore because it's expensive in a car. It was mixed. Um, it was mixed because my my parents live. In Ghana sometimes, and when I visit, normally they're there. So it's always nice to be in the blanket with your mom, even at my age. Um, to, to get some home-cooked meals. So I I miss that when I'm whenever I'm coming back. Um, but I also like to be in the comfort of my bed. Um, What's the hardest thing to get accustomed to when you come back stateside? The first thing is dealing with the time differences because it's a four or five hour time difference when I come back and I have to readjust my sleep pattern. Um, That's one. Number two, I just hate going back through my bills again when I'm here. I just, that's something you don't get a lot of when you're on vacation or even you're in Ghana, period, because there are no mailboxes for creditors to be coming up to you. And it's one of the hardest things that I, that's one of the things I hate about coming back when I have to come back, um, to have to deal with all of that. Um, But other than that, I'm usually not gone for too long. So, you know, other than dealing with um, changes in time and um, missing some of the good food, um, 
it's the difference is not that much because I'm never going for too long a time to 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 feel a big difference. Do you feel like you had you stayed in Ghana, you would have been a different person, as in in the way you think and your thought process than than you are now? Absolutely, absolutely, and I say that because I am actively involved in my um, in so many different platforms from when I was back. Of course, I spent most of my life there, so I or, or my formative years there. So people with with technology nowadays, I am in groups on WhatsApp groups with my high school classmates, with my um, middle school classmates and the like. And I see how we think differently, not just me, but, but for my friends who've, who left after high school to come to the U S or live in other parts of the world, um, as opposed to those who live in Ghana, not to say that the way either party thinks is um, wrong, but uh, we definitely see things differently. Um, so I, I, I do believe that if I had probably lived in Ghana, yes, the, the way I think would have been quite different. I mean, there is still a strong belief about you want to do something and somebody say, hey, there's Bayou, there's witchcraft and somebody do juju and you have to pray with this person. I, I mean, and I talk to a lot of people um, about different things. So sometimes I try to help people, not with money, because I don't have it like that, but, you know, with some guidance and other things. And some of the feedback I get, I mean, some of the things I tell them is based on common sense. Yeah, if you do this, it would have this domino effect. B will happen, C will happen, D will happen, right? And when they don't listen or when they listen and it happens, they say, hey, if you were here, we could have started a church and you'd have been a prophetess. I'm like, there's no prophetess in this. <laughs> this is just common oh sense. Um, but yes, wow. I mean, I have had, I know people who, you know, I went to, I started college with back home who will sometimes say, hey, you can use this because... Um, they said they're, they they use this evil spirit about. I mean, and these are people. These are like educated. highly educated people, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, you know, would I have thought the same way? And I think I probably would have because I would definitely, I would have been hanging around them. And sometimes, sometimes I have to say they almost convinced me that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it it surely there's something to it. It's, and. I know those things do exist, but I don't. I don't think I. I allow it to rule my life the way I probably would have if I was living back home. So I guess it changes the way I. I try to do things or approach things. Do you think that that living in Ghana or like even having your daughter, I think particularly in Ghana, would have been different in terms of your understanding of blackness and brownness and having to figure out ways to articulate that to her oh it would have been very different because first of all i wouldn't have had to articulate anything to her because everybody around her will be black or brown um for the most part you know 99.9 percent of the time it's just going to be people with the same skin color as her so that would have never been a conversation that was never a conversation for me throughout the entire time that I grew up there um, until I came here and I saw, you know, it just, 
we went to a church for the first time and it was all white people. We were, the only, we were the only black people and everybody was looking at us like, what are you doing here? We tried another church. We were the, the, the only black people, not a single white person. But you could still tell that we're Africans because we brought our all African attire. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least we felt welcome there. It was easier for us to assimilate there. So we did stay there for a little bit. But I had no concept of that until I went through that culture show my first four weeks in this country that, well, there are differences and they actually do exist more than we think they do, uh, more than we think they do. But nobody ever had to have that conversation with me in Ghana. There was no need for it. Um, Yes, you know, there were conversations about ethnic differences, but that's because we all speak different languages. It was never a problem, not even religious differences. Um, Yes, we talked about some people go to church, some people go to the mosque, some people... Uh, you know, go to smaller gods, but it was not. We all celebrated a salad together. When there's Eid, they put the food out. I grew up in a barracks. Um, in my early years, because my mom was in the police service, the Muslims in the community will put the food outside, and all the kids, Christians, you don't go to church, Muslim kids, everybody dips their hand into it. We all eat, run away, go home. And if your mom is closer to one of the parents, you can go tell them, tell her or him or her to call. That other person and see if you can get some more special one at home. Yeah, it was never. Um, I I never saw anything. There was nothing wrong with it. I went to a Catholic school and there were Muslim kids in my Catholic school. I wasn't even a Catholic to Very begin with. I you know I was a Presbyterian. Not that it mattered to me, but we all went to mass three days a week. Nobody complained. It wasn't a problem. My Muslim friends still said their prayers when they were saying their prayers. We all excuse them and allow them to do their thing. Nobody, nobody ever said it was never a problem until I came to this country. I'm like, ah, it's a problem, but why? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and it's something that I, even in my adult years, I still struggle with it. Recently, when I was home in August, the Eid happened, and in my parents' community, people were killing big, big cows in the street. I'm yeah. like, let me go ask for some. It's not, it's not even an issue, you know. Yeah, some of these differences have become more serious to me since I have lived in this country and it's I I, you know every day I learn something new like I lived in Baltimore I lived in DC and I live in the boonies of western Pennsylvania where a shooting happened where someone went and killed 11 people in a synagogue and you know 20 19 years ago I would have been surprised like why now I live with them (laughs) I I know mm-hmm. where I live, and I wasn't surprised. It's sad to say that I wasn't surprised. Last question for you. So what's one piece of advice um, you have for African.Americans who want to go back home, who want to go back to Africa? Well, the advice I have for them is if they want to go back to Africa, they should go with their mind, their soul, their body, and, <laughs> and their money. You can go with one and leave the other behind oh because um, <laughs> you lose something if you don't go with all. If you take your money and you think somebody's going to do something, I'm not saying everybody's a bad person, but <laughs> like everywhere else, I mean, unless you know that you're ready to patch away with that money and never complain about it, yeah, you don't send your money without your being, which includes your body, mind, and soul with it you know without it so you have to it's 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 a wonderful place to be um no stress 
I mean, if you don't, but for even for those who don't have money, they still live very happily. It's not a big deal. So you know, if you want to live a little bit of a less stressful life, and you're not worried about you know com- unnecessary competition with others, then you know you should be fine. And yeah, you also have to keep in mind that you'd be going to lots of funerals, lots of weddings, lots of um, engagements, and outdoors. They don't come free. They come with cost. And if you've lived here for a long time, um, depending on who you are, anybody can come knock at your door and say they're visiting. And when they're going, you have to give them some money. You have to be open to helping people out, even if you don't have it, because mm-hmm. you just came back. Um, or you've lived in America before, or you can go back to America whenever. Um, but if you're going to do business, I would re- highly recommend that, first of all, you go survey the place, see what you want to do, but then you go with your money, your body, your mind, and your soul. Because, <laughs> you sound like you speak from experience. Um, <laughs> Wise words. Because um, if you go with one without the other, something is not going to come back, and you're going to lose bigly. Boring from Donald Trump. But, you know, there are lots of opportunities there. Um, you arrive at Kotoka in Accra today, and there are probably just as many Chinese businessmen coming in as there are Ghanaians. It's surprising to see. Because um, when I was growing up, nobody bought made in China. We didn't have it, but we didn't buy it. Um, but, you know, other experts are going there and making a difference, but they're going there physically. Um, but to sit here and say, oh, I grew up there, or my auntie's there, or my grandmother's there, so you're going to start a business or something like that without really assessing the terrain, because the way things work there is not the same as the way things work here, Mm -hmm. and I keep telling my friends, it's like, you can go to a bank in the morning, go grocery shopping, come back, go shopping at TJ Maxx, wherever, you can only do one of those things in Accra today because of the excessive traffic, the long lines at the bank, and you better oh, know wow. somebody to get quick service. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. It's improving in certain places, but those things still exist. So you need to give yourself a lot of time. You can get so many things done. You can be as efficient as, as you can be um, living here sometimes. So... I mean, those are they It's it's a wonderful place to be back to, but you ha- you have to be ready to be there. And you have to be ready to the to be there with the entire package, not with some, because that ain't gonna work. Okay, thanks for the advice and thanks for joining us today. I'm going back soon, so if you want to join me, <laughs> think about that. All right, thanks, Abena. Oh, thank you for having me. That's our show for today. Like what you heard. I have an idea on a topic you'd like African.American to discuss. Would you potentially like to be featured in our spotlight section? Let us know. You can email us at African.American spelled out. African.American at gmail.com. See you later. Yeah.